0: So we're going to read the creed together. So uh, if we can flip to the next slide. Brilliant. Should we all stand up and read it together? Just This is my most feared part of the whole service, so let's, let's get this together. Uh, after three, I'll do it teacher mode. One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, Our Lord, who was conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He had ascended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Brilliant. Okay, let's move on. I'm gonna start my timer to make sure I don't talk for too long because I want to worship at the end as well. Okay. So today we're doing forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. It's such a short phrase. When you see it up there, if we can we go back to the, the creed for a second, we see it up there. I believe, and it says Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church. And then he said, and it goes, the forgiveness of sins. So essentially, my phrase is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I was, when I got that, my last preach was on sexual purity. This one was forgiveness of sins. I was like, Yes, Jesus, thank you so much. I cannot wait to talk about your forgiveness. I cannot wait. I started prepping it, and I was like, Oh, God, there is so much in your forgiveness that I'll never understand. How can I even start to talk about how much you've done for me? And I was just stood there, and I sat there, and I said, like, God, where do I even begin? And he gave me this. To believe in the forgiveness of sins, there are eight steps that we need to work through. We're not going to work through all eight today. They're going to be all covered in different points. Point one, we need to know that God is perfect. Point two, we need to know that sin exists. Point three, we need to know that we have sinned. Point four, we need to know there is a punishment. Point five, we need to know that we could not save ourselves. Point six, Christ saves us. Point seven, we are totally forgiven. And point eight, we need to live in that forgiveness. And when he gave me that, I was like, that's so much he god got to go through that. And so that's what we're going to try and do. So why do we even, apart from it's in this series, why do we even bother talking about forgiveness? Well, you might think it's one of our culture traits. This side, I'm going to read what it says: forgiveness. We will always be ready to reset relationships by our forgiveness of others. Now I'm going to challenge you further, and I love that. But when I was talking to God about this, it, like my forg-. that's a great culture. I'm not putting that down at all because so we all need to have that. But he's saying my forgiveness goes far beyond that mere phrase. As men, we could never. I mean, mankind could never. I sum up his forgiveness anyway. He's saying, My forgiveness goes far beyond that, that phrase. Not only am I calling you to forgive others, I'm calling you to understand what I have done for you, to understand the forgiveness I have given you. So I'm going to ask you three questions this morning, and these are my three points. Number one Do you take your sin seriously? That sounds quite a heavy point, doesn't it? Do you take your sin seriously? When when God gave me that question, I was like, "Whoa, are you sure, God? I prefer to talk about how great you are. And then point two was, do you remember the price of your forgiveness? And question three, do you live in your forgiveness? Okay. Somehow my phone says I've been talking for three hours. That cannot be right. So let's go from here. So point one, do you take your sin seriously? So here we're going to look at the perfection of God. Versus the fall of man. So we're going to go right back to Genesis. We're going to look at chapter 1 of Genesis. And we're just going to see the fall of man. But first, let's start with the perfection of God. Psalm 25 verse 8 says this. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Mark 10 verse 18 says this. And Jesus said to them, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Matthew 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Isaiah 6, verse 3 says, And and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Romans 12, verse 2 says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may prove... Um, what the will of God is, and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. They are just a snapshot of God's perfection in the Bible. If you just type in on Google, "God is perfect" verses, and you'll just get tons and tons and tons where the Bible says, effectively, words of God is perfect. God has done nothing wrong. God doesn't even have a, a bad thought, not even a bad dream, not even anything. He is just perfect. He's holy. He, and it says that holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So we're going to look at this point. First thing, do you take your sin seriously? But to understand that, as I said, you need to know God is perfect. God is perfection. He detests sin. He hates sin. Anything that goes against him, he hates it. He's like, oh, do you know when you've had a really bad meal and you instantly feel it and you're like, you just want to throw up? Like, yesterday I played rugby and in the second half of the game, for some some reason, I just started feeling ill. And, like, you were like, I just felt to myself, I just want to. I didn't throw up. but I just want to throw up. And sometimes I feel God... He, he hates sin that much. He sees it. I can imagine him, if he, were, if he was like me, he would want to throw up. That's how much he hates it. It disgusts him. It, he can't bear it. It's horrible. It's the total opposite of God. If God is perfection, sin is the total opposite way. That's how much he hates it. He, he's like, oh, sin. But let me get this clear. That when he says he hates sin, it doesn't say he hates you. It says he loves you. He wants to affirm that of you as well today. He loves you, even in your sin. He loves you. He hates the sin, but he loves you. He loves you. So God is perfect. So much so, he can't even lie. I love that when it's, it's a verse. Is it Hebrews? I think it, it says um, it's impossible for God to lie. As part of the phrasing in one of the, in Hebrews six verse eighteen, he can't even lie. I don't know about you, we shouldn't grade sin, but like, I'm like, oh, lie. It's like, I'm sure we've all told a lie. Put your hand up if you haven't told a lie at some point in your life. Mike Rogers, brilliant, thank you. Um, (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, we, yeah, yes, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And um, I'm like, we all lie. God can't even lie. That's how much perfection is in him. Not even a lie would pass his lips. That blows me away. So let's put let's go. God is perfect. Let's move on. So we're going to, as I said, we're going to hit creation. So creation, God, the Trinity were there, and they create in the world. And they create the world and um, take seven days, including a day of rest. And he says over it, over the world, it is very good. Creation is very good. And what does he mean by that? Well, he means there's good relationships. Adam and Eve, good relationships. Adam and Eve and, and God, great relationships. God even walks with him in the garden, which is quite incredible. What does he else say about creation? It's beautiful. The trees. Can you look at creation now? And this is a fallen world. Imagine how beautiful the Garden of Eden was. Pre-fall. Pre-all went wrong. It just blows me away how beautiful that is even the animals are living peacefully you don't i love i love david attenborough the documentaries and you always get the bit where like the lion tries to kill the gazelle or whatever and but there wasn't even any death not even animals were killing animals there was no death there was no shame love this verse genesis 2 verse 25 adam and eve were both naked and they felt no shame now about you if you've ever been naked you probably feel a bit of shame sometimes. Like, there's, it's just natural for us to feel embarrassed of our bodies or think, oh, what, why am I naked? I look weird. I, it's just weird. But they felt no shame. They felt no shame and they were naked. As I said, there was no death, just life. But the mention of death came in a warning. So that's creation. In creation, God set rules and boundaries. He said... You can eat of anything apart from this tree. Do not eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you do it, you will surely die. Now that's quite a strong warning. And like there's no death in the whole of creation, and God says, if you eat this, you will die. I'm like, I don't. I would have been the exact same. I didn't even wanted to eat it. But it was this massive warning saying, do not eat this. And why would? Why was the punishment death? Because of sin. Going against God. The moment you go against God, you've sinned and you've fallen short of his perfect standards. And what, Jesus, and what God said in that moment, said, if you do that, you will surely die. The punishment will be death. And we see that in Romans 6, verse, 20, verse 23, where it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So clear. Genesis, eat this, you go against me, you die. Romans, New Testament, for the wages of sin are death. So if you go against me, you die. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, we had perfect perfect God, who is still perfect and always will be perfect. Creation, which was called very good. With a warning, if you go against me, if you sin against me, you're going to die. You miss my perfect standard. So what's sin? Going against God's perfect standard. Just going against God. Doing things my way. That's all it is. So we see in Genesis, sin enters the world. So why is it a big deal? First of all, Adam and Eve were tempted to eat by... Um, a serpent, the, a fallen angel, Satan, and they, uh, they ate it. And the moment they ate this fruit, they they missed God's perfect standard. It's gone wrong in a moment. Gone wrong. And the world contrasts in a moment. Suddenly they feel shame because they realise they're naked. We just said before, I said a verse where they're both naked and they felt no shame. Then later on in verse 2, it's, uh, chapter 2, it says um, ne- they were naked and made fig clothes for, them sh- for themselves. Because they felt shame, they suddenly realised there was shame. They blamed each other. God came in and says, "Where are you, Adam?" Because Adam and Eve hide at this point because they know they've done wrong. Where are you, Adam? Quick story from school, my teacher. Um, I've got a boy in my class. I won't say his name. And I told him he could have no iPad. Okay, but I'd left the iPad on my desk. I'm working with a child, and I turn around. And he knows he can't have it. He's, like, snuck over to my desk. He's got the iPad, and he holds it behind his back and, like, sneaks past me. I can clearly see the iPad, and he's sneaking past me like this. And I can't imagine that's what Adam and Eve were like. They knew they couldn't do it. They knew they weren't allowed to eat the fruit. They ate the fruit, and they were like, oh, I've got to hide. Just like my, my, the boy in my class hid the iPad behind his back and was like, no, if he can't see the iPad, he, I cannot get in trouble. And Adam and Eve were like, if he can't see me, if God can't see me, he cannot tell me off. I love it when parents do that, because parents always say to their child, what did you do? Or, and in God's case, God says, where are you, Adam? The God of all creation, the God who knows everything. Where are you, Adam? And he's, clearly God knows what Adam and Eve are. There's no doubt about that. But I think why he does that is because he gives them an automatically opportunity just to, just to own up. The would still enter the world, because he's already given that, and that's... That's his command, he doesn't break his promises, that was a promise. But he gives them a moment to say, you know, what, I did it, I'm really sorry, it's seamless to enter. But no, what happens, where before we had perfect relationship, blame enters the world. Adam's like, no, it was Eve. And Eve is like, no, it was the serpent. And suddenly we have a breakdown in relationship. Sin enters, relationship breaks down. Goes beyond that. They're cast out of the Garden of Eden. So not only their broken relationship, they're cast away. And it kind of represents a breaking of God's presence. I say kind of does. It does represent a breaking of God's presence. It says, go away. And then on, still in Genesis, murder appears straight away. Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Then again, next bit we get sexual exploitation. That was before the flood. Um, the world is described as there being like loads of violence it's also this, uh, described as a as corruption in fact where it talks about corruption God says I will blot out man from the earth he's that he hates sin that much he hates the fact that sin enters and everything we've done wrong so I'll blot you out and he's like oh there's Noah so I can save the world we'll flood the world and one family will survive Noah you're like great Noah Noah is good next thing you know Noah's getting drunk So that's the next chapter, Noah's getting drunk, he's like, oh, sin is still in the world, we're still going against God. And then the Tower of Babel comes along, and it's like, one of the verses goes, because they desire to be like God, so they build a really tall tower, so now they're like sinning in every way possible, and they're trying to be like God, because that's what they want to be, they want to be God, they don't want God, they just want to be God. Sin is rampant in the world. That's by chapter 11 of Genesis, and the Bible's pretty long, and by... And when I say chapter 11, there's 40 days and 40 nights of flood, so that's like a chapter in a bit. There's also creation, which is a chapter. So within about eight chapters, you've got a multitude of sin. The whole world is covered in sin. And I say it's exactly the same today. When we look at the world around us, there's things, there's going against God there, and going against God there, and there, and then you're like, the whole, sometimes you feel like, what is going on, God? There's just sin everywhere. Me and Lady after this conversation, sometimes we just don't understand it and we say, it's just a broken world. It's a broken world where man is selfish and we go against God. But it's okay. God installs a sacrifice system pretty quickly where it's like, I still love you. As I said before, he loves, he loves us. He says, I still love you and I still want you to come in. So he installs a sacrifice system. Um, so there's sin and guilt sacrifices that take place. And uh, every time um, the, the sacrifice, they take a goat or a, or a lamb, they kill it, and they sprinkle the blood, and Dom told us about this, Bloom, this, is one of the things that blew away of fact They had blood on their white like undergarment thing, and it just stayed with them as a representation. They sprinkled the blood, and then the priest could enter into the holiest of holies, and uh, the, the offering was for the whole of the sin of the people up to that point. But this, they had to keep doing these sacrifices. Every time there was like more sin, like the priest would have to kill another lamb or whatever, and take it in and sprinkle the blood and go, All "Right, this is it again. We're really sorry." To go outside and like, imagine him walking outside and you're like, "Oh, so oh, John has been lying again. Oh, right, let's get another lamb. Come on, let's kill it. There's more sin." They walk outside. Someone else has done something wrong. Oh, okay, let's kill another lamb. And you're like, "I'm never going to meet God's standard." And Even the moment I come, Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets and the laws and he sees them sinning. He's like, oh, great, they made an idol whilst I was up there. What am I supposed to do now? Men and mankind just sin. We just go against God again and again and again and again. And it breaks relationship with God. So, my question was do you take sin seriously? Do you take your sin seriously? When you miss up and you look back to the original sin, sin came in and it caused you to die. That's not even the worst of it. Sin came in and it broke your relationship with God. Sin causes us problems. So do you take it seriously? Or do you just think, oh, it's just a lie? doesn't really matter but I hate to tell you it does matter it doesn't meet God's standard he calls us not to sin yes we're men we're mankind we're gonna mess up but he calls us not to live like that so question two do you remember the price of your forgiveness so we're in this horrible state where the whole world is covered in sin there's rampant sin everywhere there's a holy nation, but even they're getting it wrong, Israel. And we're like the same today. We've all sinned. There's nothing they could do. Nothing they could do. It says, We've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's all of us. Everyone here, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Nothing. When I was in year six, I went on a, you're on your like a way holiday thing. It's like the, usually the first time you're away from your parents. I got homesick on that, which uh, I wouldn't get homesick now, obviously, but I was really sad. And we did cave in on mine. And um, there was nothing, we went cave in. Uh, can we flip to the next picture, please? You can't see it very well, but this is the, I still remember this, I have to look it up. This is a photo, it's obviously not me, but there's a photo of what the caves we went to. There's a thing called the letterbox. And I imagine it being really small. It looks a bit bigger there than I remember. And I, you had to climb through it, and you had to lie on your belly and pull yourself through. And I remember when I was in it, I was nervous anyway. I used to be claustrophobic, so it wasn't the best thing for me to do. And I'm going through this, and I felt like I got stuck. And I was like, there's nothing I can do. I was like, I need help. I need help. And I, was like, I remember I was quite a shy child as well, so I didn't really shout that much. I just stood there, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, stood, laid there. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I froze. I, was like, I felt like there was nothing I could do. And the only thing that could get me through it was one of the instructors pulling me through. Quite embarrassing now, thinking I couldn't even get through this thing. But they pulled me through. There's nothing I could do. I was stuck. And that's the same as, as mankind. We sinned, but there was nothing we could do. We were given the punishment. There was nothing we could do. We needed someone to pull us through. We had the law, as I said before, on sacrifices. And I said those sacrifices continued and continued because they were never going to fulfill it. They were never going to get us through. We just mess up again and again. But then we come to forgiveness. The price that was paid. Jesus. Jesus. Some of you might know the gospel story already, but I love telling the gospel. I don't know about you. Where you just, sometimes you just need to hear it again. And it comes alive again. So as I said, we're in this point where we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. God sends his son. He takes every sin. He's done nothing wrong. Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. He'd done absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing wrong. Spoken truth. Never told a lie, performed miracle after miracle, listened to the Father, did exactly what the Father told him to do. He never, he never did anything wrong. And let me get the, as I said earlier, I said, who's lied, uh, who hasn't lied? And no one put their hand up. And then Mike, for the most funny jokes. And no, everyone, everyone has lied. Jesus didn't even lie, he did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong. Just like that lamb that we spoke about earlier on in the sacrifice, who had no blemish, nothing wrong with this lamb that was sacrificed. Jesus is exactly the same. He had no blemish. He had no sin. He had done nothing wrong at all. But God takes him, his son, God himself, Jesus, says, you're taking the sin of the world. Jesus knew that was a plan. he stretches his arms wide on the cross. He's got a crown of thorns in his head. He's been mocked. He's been spat at. He's been whipped. And he stretches his arms wide. And he declares it is finished. And he declares it is finished. From the beginning of Genesis, when we mess up, Up to then, he declares, they've been sacrificed, these lambs, and suddenly there's Christ on the cross, Jesus on the cross, and declares it's finished. He's saying, every sin has been put on me. Not every sin that's just been happened, not happened, or every sin that's happening now. He's saying, every sin that's happened is happening, and forever. I'm taking them all right now. I'm taking them all. I'm taking them all. In that moment, he declares it is finished. Every sin is taken. And he declares forgiveness over those who believe. He declares forgiveness. Now, there's a word, uh, atoned, that we often kind of just say in church. (laughs) One of those words that you never go down, if I was playing rugby, you go, hey guys, I learned about atonement today. I would think I'd probably be mocked and shoved in the corner of the rugby changing room. And, uh, They'll be like, what on earth are you talking about, atoned? But essentially it just means paying the price. Like, that's a, quite a nice way of phrasing it, I think. It's just paying. So Jesus paid the price. And as we heard right at the beginning, the price of sin was death. Jesus paid your price. Do you know how much? Do you ever think how much your forgiveness cost? I've so many times, and I try not to be, so many times I'm so blasé about my forgiveness. I'm like, yes, God, thank you for giving me. And I forget about the cost. I forget that it was his son, God himself, on a cross dying. To take it so that I can be forgiven. So that my sin, my punishment of death can be paid for. Amazing when we think about it, doesn't it just like it humbles you, you, a human, man, woman, you. Your forgiveness is paid for by the Son of God, God himself, dying on the cross. But what I thought God wanted us to do today was yes, be real about that. But I felt God wanted us to celebrate in the victory of that Let's not be like, oh, it's so sad. It is sad in some respects. Like, we messed up so much that God had to die. Like, we messed up. The moment you messed up, Christ had to die. It was always the plan from the beginning of time. 1 Peter 1 verse 19 to 20 says that. You can look it up if you want it, but it says from the beginning of the world, basically, Christ was the plan. Jesus was the plan. Yes, that is sad, but God wants us to celebrate the victory of our forgiveness today. He doesn't want us to walk around moping and go, oh, I cost Jesus his life. Oh, that was so sad. We need to be real about it, but God wants us to celebrate the victory of the cross. He he died on the cross, not so you can be sad, but to give you joy and freedom and forgiveness. That's what he's calling us to this morning. He's saying, church, stand up, sing your heart out. Praise me for the fact that my son, Jesus, you can pray Jesus, praise to Jesus, that he stretched his arms on the cross and paid your price. He paid your price. He paid your price. He forgave you to all your sin and forgave you, he wants you to celebrate. He wants your soul. And as Spirit, come in right now as we're doing it, Spirit, we just welcome you to come and raise our souls in excitement. And we just want, He wants us just to be so excited about what He did for us. He doesn't want us to be blase about the price that was paid. He doesn't want us to walk around moping the whole time about the fact I cost Jesus his life. We have to be real about that because it's true. But He wants us to celebrate in the victory of the cross. And as before, we saw that the world was transformed in a moment of sin. Our lives are transformed in a moment of Christ. So we were dead. We believe in Jesus. We're alive eternally. We were a sinner. We're now a saint who gets things wrong, so we're covered by forgiveness. We were trapped in our our sin. It says we had a master of sin, a master of evil. But now we are free and forgiven, and God is our father. We were under wrath, but now we're forgiven. We had broken relationship, now we're a child in relationship. We had a heart of stone, it says, now we have a heart of flesh. We had a tendency to blame, now we have a command to love each other. We had stern, hard hearts, and now we're commanded to forgive each other. See, this sacrifice that was paid transformed everything for us. And it was a one-time sacrifice. That moment, Christ died. That moment he died, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father because he was risen from the dead, which is something we celebrate as well. And we learned about that, was it March, March the 10th, I wrote it down, it was when we celebrated that. We celebrate it every day, let's make sure about that. But, he's saying that at that moment, it was a single sacrifice for eternity. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So let's say that again. He had offered for all time a single sacrifice. No more sacrifices were needed. Jesus paid it all. It was done. And how did you get it? How did you get it? You're saved by grace. You're saved by saying, I'm sorry, God. I know I've done wrong. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But you have saved me. I have done nothing you have saved me you have forgiven me ephesians 2 8 to 9 says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it by yourselves it is a gift of god not by works so that no one can boast amazing i can't show off about it i can't go yeah i'm saved because i did this yeah i saved because I went to uni. Yeah, I saved because I had, a good, I had a good dad. Or yeah, I'm saved because of anything. Yeah, I'm saved because I had a chair. It might be something stupid. Yeah, I'm saved because I got a car. You know, that's nothing to do with it. It's saying right here, yes, I'm saved because Christ did it. Yes, I'm forgiven because Jesus took it all. I did nothing. I just said sorry and said, you're my king. Now, I don't know everyone's journeys here. You might, be, you might be new here. If you're new here, welcome. I love, love you're here today. You might be, someone's come here for ages. But you haven't taken that step of saying, Do you know what? God forgave me. I'm sorry and I want you to be my king. Now this wasn't actually in my notes, <laughs> sillyly. But I'm just going to take a moment. We're just going to pray. And if that's you and you're, You've never given your life to God. I'm just going to pray for that moment, and you're going to. I want you to declare in your heart, say, "Sorry, God. I'm sorry that I messed up. I'm sorry that I go against you. And I want you to be my savior. Thank you for your forgiveness. And if you're praying that prayer, just so, um, if that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. Everyone have your eyes closed. I have mine open because um, I'd just love, if that is you, I'd love to come alongside you afterwards or member of the ministry team or pastoral team will come alongside you and they'll pray for you and we would love to help you on that journey. So if that's, if, if that's you, we're just going to pray now, so if everyone could just close their eyes, that'd be great and as I pray, I just want you to just pray the sort of things I said and I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you that you died on the cross for us. We thank you that you took all of our sin. We thank you that we could do nothing, but you did it all. And Lord, I just pray that if anyone's here who's not given their life to you and said, thank you for your forgiveness and sorry for what they've done, I want you as king of their life, their, their saviour. just pray that they do it now and we speak that over them. So if that's you, I'm just going to give you an opportunity just to raise your hand now. Thank you. And we just pray that you come rushing in. Spirit, come rushing in to those who have raised their hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you paid it all. <coughs> we pray it's your name. Amen. Right, we've got a little bit of time. We've got one last point I want to get through. And then we're gonna worship God because I wanna celebrate his forgiveness that he's given us. So I don't know about you, I want to celebrate the price he paid for us in, in a weird way. I want to say thank you so much. I want to praise you for that. So we're gonna sing some songs at the end, praising him for that. But as I said, there's three questions. My last question is do you live in your forgiveness? So we've got to the point where point one sin is horrific, God is perfect. Sin is horrific. It's broken our relationship. Point two, Christ came and saved us. He took it all for us. Point three, do you live in your forgiveness? So if you've uh, given your life to God, you have been 100%. I I can guarantee you, you, if you've given your life to God, you said, I'm sorry, you are my king, you're my savior, you are forgiven. Do you live in that? So what does it do in us? we well, it's freeing and releasing. As I said before, it says in Romans 6, verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. That's an amazing verse. If you don't understand, it, I'm going to quickly unpack it for us. So let me read it again. For, for sin shall no longer be your master. It's saying that you are not ruled by sin anymore. Sin does not control you. Sin has nothing over you. It says, sin is no longer your master. Like we have slaves and masters we read about sometimes. It's like, sin is not your master. It has nothing over you. It's broken. You are free from that. And it says this, because you're not under law, but under grace. So not only are you free from the master of sin, you're now free because of something, because you're under grace. Because you're under God's amazing grace. Which means that you are forgiven, you are free, you are loved, you are his child and you're in relationship with him. So not only are you no longer under a master of sin, you're free because of grace of God. Now that's incredible. What else is it doing us? Well we know that we're totally covered. We've said that. we said no matter what we do wrong, Christ has paid for it. But it gives us a new attitude to, to walk in the Spirit and say, I no longer want to sin because of what Christ has done for me. And the Spirit guides us in that, yeah, we're going to mess up. But the Spirit guides us in that and teaches us. It says in Romans 6, we had a lot of the Bible today, which is great. We had Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? I love Paul when he says that. So, like, how stupid of you? How stupid, at Roman church, that you would want to sin more so grace could be shown more? It's like, no, you don't want to do that. Why? If you were dead, why would you want to act like a dead person? Like, you're no longer dead. You're no longer in this death state. You're no longer in death clothes. You're no longer in any, like, Egyptians, modification. You're not like that. You're the total opposite. Why would you walk around in in modification clothes and dead clothes when you're no longer dead? You you stupid church of Rome. Do you not get it? God is saying, I've set you free. Walk in freedom. No longer sin that grace may abound, you stupid church. He doesn't actually say you stupid church, just so clear, but I can imagine that's what he's saying. Don't do that. Live in freedom. Live in release and forgiveness. Live in that. He's saying that. And that's what he says to us as well. No longer live in the dead clothes. Don't sin anymore so you can be like, oh, isn't it amazing that God saved me from this? No, go like, yes, I want to live for Christ. I want to live for God. I no longer have a master of sin. I'm going to follow him and walk in his spirit. What else is it doing us? It gives us an attitude of seeking forgiveness. Now, uh, a quick story. I've got permission because it's from Lay. I usually like telling stories about myself, but this one's from Lay. So uh, when she was younger, her mum told her to not go into this cupboard. and Because uh, in this cupboard was like a, a nail that was kind of sticking out from what I gather. And her mum said, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Lay, being the child she is, she was. <laughs> mum wasn't around. She went straight into the cupboard and she cut her leg open on this nail. Lay, also being lay, decided to go to hide in her bedroom, get underneath the duvet, and lie there, and she fell asleep. Her mum walks in, and she went to hide because she knew she was in trouble. Her mum walks in, and there's blood coming through the duvet, and there's a red patch on it, from what I've been told, a red patch on her duvet. Her mum wakes her up, says, what's going on? And there's this massive cut on her leg. And she's still got a scar today, if you want to see it. Well, I'm not, I, haven't, I actually haven't asked permission for that part. But there is a scar on her leg. It's like there, so don't worry. It's not inappropriate. And um, she has this scar. And uh, so she's in this bed, in a bed. She does goes against God. Not God, goes against her mum. Just like we go against God. It's like, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Let me start that story again. So a she had. And uh, so she's going against her mum. She hid, and then blood was coming through, and her mum came and said, let's deal with it, I forgive you. God does the same for us today. As I said, we still mess up. But when you mess up, let's not be like Leigh and run and hide. Let's come straight to the Father and say, I'm so sorry. I know you've forgiven me, but I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I've done that wrong. And what God spoke to me about the story of Leigh is that when she was lying in that bed, blood pouring out of her leg. I'm sure she was in pain. I think God says that's what happens to us when we don't run straight to the Father. We stand in pain. We've already been forgiven. God already knows about it. But when we don't run to him, we stand in pain, knowing the things we've done wrong and not saying, God, I'm sorry. Just like Lay's mum, cleaned her up, sorted her out and said, it's okay, I love you. God says exactly the same to us. He says, yeah, you've done wrong, but I love you. I've forgiven you. Jesus was on the cross for that very reason. I love you. We're almost at the end now. So as we said, in us, it's free and releasing. We're totally covered by sin. We need an attitude of always going to God and seeking forgiveness. And we walk by his spirit. Because of that forgiveness, we can boldly run into the throne room and say, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm here. Dad, I love you. Dad, I want to sing to you. Dad, can you just give me a hug? I want to know your love. I want to know your joy. We can do that. We can boldly approach the throne room of grace. We're running. We can run in. So what does it do to others? So our forgiveness. Well, we need to be quick to forgive. When we're hurting, when someone's hurt us, we need to be quick to forgive that person. Colossians 3, uh, yeah, Colossians 3 verse 12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And all over and, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what does God say about living in our forgiveness towards others? Be quick to forgive. Be, we're going to be... We're humans, we're going to hurt each other. But as God's children, he says, be quick to forgive like I have forgiven you. Be quick to forgive. Move on. Say sorry, move on. Yes, deal with your problems, because it says go to the person, but but still, move on. Forgiveness. Also, towards others, be ready to say sorry when we've done wrong. Just like we say sorry to God. When you're hurting someone, part of forgiveness is saying sorry. Luke 17, verse 3 says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent. You must forgive him. So we see both there in that lovely passage. We see we have to forgive when someone comes to us. But we also see a brother going to another brother or a Christian going to another Christian saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I know I've done wrong. We need an attitude of going to people saying, I'm really sorry I hurt you. And I wrote down this. Conflict damages the church. Forgiveness brings honour, good relationships and growth. I felt God give me that. Conflict damages the church, but forgiveness brings honour, good relationships and growth. It's our culture trait. Don't want to be a church that's quick to forgive and quick to say sorry? I don't know about you. I want want to see honour, good relationships and growth. I don't want to see conflict. Conflict is not of God. Unity, honour, good relationships and growth. So we've got two things left to do. We're going to have a quick response now, then I've got a tiny bit to say, and then we've got our last response. So the quick response, one... It's gonna be based on what I just said. If you feel like you've uh well, I'm probably finishing. if you feel like you've been hurt by someone and you're holding on to it, I wanna pray over you a release and an ability for, to forgive that person. That the spirit is not I'm not gonna do anything, the spirit's gonna come in and he's gonna break you from that chain. He's gonna break you from it. You've been hurt by someone. And you can't forgive, you're holding on to it. Whatever that may be. And the second one is if, and we're all going to kind of, I think it should be for all of us, is that God is going to move in and show us where we may have hurt other people, and we need to go and say sorry. We've seen it in his word, that these two things go hand in hand. So the first one, it's quite painful, and I think... It, Sometimes it can be painful. I'm actually going to ask you, and I didn't actually have this down at all, but I think God's put it on my heart. I'm actually going to ask you to stand up. If you feel like you're finding it hard to forgive people, because I think there's going to be something in an action de- declaration saying, he, gonna, he wants to break that chain off you now. So, um, if that's you, then I'd love you to stand now. Don't be, don't be scared. I know it's quite a hard one saying, actually, I really hold on to things past hurts. Thank you. Thank you for those who are standing up already. If you're holding on to past hurts, and you can't forgive the person who's done that to you, I just want you to stand Thank you for those who responded. If there's any more, I'm going to say it one more time. If you're holding on to past hurts and you can't forgive the person, maybe there's something they've said about you. Maybe they've spoken behind your back and you couldn't release that. Maybe you felt excluded. I think God's just putting these on my heart now. Maybe you felt excluded from things and you couldn't forgive the person who made you feel that way. If that's you, I just want you to stand now. Yeah, Lord, we just pray right now that Your Spirit come rushing in. Now we just pray for these people standing up that You just break that chain of unforgiveness over them. We just pray that You come in and you just, you just smash it, let them totally free them from that. We pray that You just release that right now, just total freedom over them, knowing that You forgave them. And Lord, we just pray right now that You, You, as You command us, You give them through Your amazing power the ability to forgive us. Yes yeah, spirit, come rushing. We, we just pray right now that no, not even an element of a foundation of this is left, not even an element of a chain of this is lift, left. We just pray total freedom over them right now. We pray that they are able to forgive the past hurts from people who have done to them through your spirit. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Okay. And the second part of that this is going to be all of us um, we're just going to sit down. I'm going to pray right now. You don't have to stand up for this one. It's fine. And it's just for the Spirit to prompt us where we need to go and say sorry to people. So I'm going to pray now. Lord, I just pray for all of us, including me, that if there's, ever, if there's ever been a hurt that I've put on someone or if I've ever done anything wrong, and of all of us here, that you just prompt us right now. Show us the person we need to go say sorry to. Show us the even if it was unintended, We just pray that you just come right now and you reveal situations where we want to just go and say sorry to another person. Sorry for hurting them. And as you gave me, conflict damages the church, but forgiveness brings unity and growth. Good relationships and honor. So we want that right now. We want that as a church. So Spirit, come now and reveal to us people we need to go and say sorry to for past hurts, that we've hurt them. I pray it's all in your name. Amen. Right, we're about to finish now. My last point, 10 seconds, maybe maybe 30 seconds, is celebrate the cross. Celebrate the cross. I've said it already, and how could I not come back to it at the end? We're just going to do one song, so if the band could come up now, that'd be great. Celebrate the cross and your forgiveness. Celebrate it. You mu- remind yourself what Jesus did for you there. Remind yourself that he took every sin. Remind yourself how undeserved you were and how you're in a situation where you could do nothing. Remind yourself to live in freedom. Remind yourself that you no longer have a master of sin, but you have a a master of God. You're under his grace. And remind yourself that you're safe for eternity. There was one sacrifice, that was Christ, that that totally took every sin. Everything you've done wrong, forgave you, put you in relationship, gave you life. Remind yourself of that. I don't know about you, but when I think about the price that was paid and the fact that I now stand here free and I know my destiny and eternity is with the Father, I know all of that because of what Christ did for me and He did it for you. Doesn't it just want to make you want to praise Him? Doesn't it make you want to say, Yes, Jesus, I cannot believe you did that for me. I was so undeserved. I was so unworthy. All I did was reject you. I was selfish. I lied. I did all these things wrong. And yet you did nothing wrong. And you chose to come and give your life at me. That I can be free from sin. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I'm a child of God. I want to praise you for that. So let's all stand together and worship God.